You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Who are the Panthers going to take in the first pick? Let's find out. You're listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast, an iconoclastic look at the latest Cleveland Browns news. The What the Elf Was That podcast is part of the Fanatical Elves podcast network, a part of the Fans First Sports Network. Here's your host, Joel Cade. Welcome back to another What the Elf Was That podcast. Today we're doing a special edition, the With the First Pick edition of What the Elf Was That. Browns fans, I'm bringing this one to you because as Browns fans, we know what it's like to hold the first pick. Two years in a row we held the first pick, right? One year we got it somewhat right. Maybe, if you think Miles Garrett is getting it right. So, because we're lacking that kind of excitement this year, because we're not picking until the third round, I thought what I would do is I would bring in a buddy of mine way back from the day when we did a Panthers podcast together called On the Prowl Podcast. You know, I know you guys are shocked to hear that I kind of moonlight as a Panthers fan when I'm not rooting on my Browns. But I thought here's a perfect chance to bring in a good buddy of mine, Braden. Braden, how you doing, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. It's a it's an exciting time to be a Panthers fan. Yeah, you know it really is. Yeah, you guys got the. Uh, <laughs> well, there is never a dull moment <laughs> with all those quarterbacks you guys had last year and the new ones you're going to get this year. So I, I've, I'm still on a group chat with Braden. And we like to get animated about 
who's picking who, and I'm from Ohio, and he's from North Carolina, which actually makes sense being a Panthers fan to be from North Carolina. And uh, we typically disagree on things. So I thought this would be a great time to come in and just kind of chat up quarterbacks, quarterback play, that kind of thing. So let me just start this off with a real softball. When you're looking at a quarterback, what do you look for? First things first, I just want to see consistent, good habits that I believe you can translate to the NFL on tape. I think that's just far and away first benchmark you have to clear. Does this person do things on tape that you look at your team, you look at your scheme and say, can we use that? Can he execute that at the next level? Or does he have the potential to improve on that skill? Now, does he show traits or signs of that? So then I think once you identify what your vision so what would be some things that you think the panthers would need trait wise or habit wise for the team that they're constructing now trait wise i think one thing that's going to be huge for us with the frank reich and his new scheme is a rpo quick read actions a really cerebral quarterback somebody who can just get the ball out quickly make the quick reads make smart decisions Extend plays in the pocket. So, you know, Frank Frank, you know, he comes from that uh, kind of adjacent Andy Reid scheme of the, mm-hmm. the Doug Peterson guys where they run the West Coast system, but it's a little more, let's say, a down to earth. A little bit more you know. spread open, yeah. spread wide open kind of system. I saw on the NFL Network today that the Panthers are already implementing a lot of RPO elements. Yeah. And we're not even in OTAs. We're in like. <clears throat> phase one of off-season workouts, right? And they're just doing walk-throughs. And so apparently, you know, when you have the first pick, you know who you're getting, right? So apparently, the like, good for the Panthers. They're already putting together an offense based on who they're picking. So anyway, go ahead. You were talking about after you identify those things, then then what do you look for? So then once you identify what, what is this player? What can this player do at the next level? Then mm-hmm. I think you can look at a player and start to look to context as to what about their environment in college allowed them to succeed or what about their environment in college held them back. So I think that's when you can delve into, okay, you know, just for example, C.J. Stroud. To what extent, you know, is C.J. Stroud accentuating the high State offense? To what extent is the high State offense creating things to C.J. Stroud that aren't necessarily as replicable on the pro level as they are for him at the college level playing Big Ten football. Well, I will say this. I'll say that I think C.J. Stroud will probably never have a wide receiver group like he has at Ohio State. (laughs) I don't don't think – I don't care where he's drafted. He is not getting that level of wide receiver play. (laughs) Go ahead. Yeah, your receiver group that you guys had there was so – James Williams was a disposable wide receiver five for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm gonna be clear. I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I'm I'm good with Ohio State, but I'm I'm a Notre Dame fan. <laughs> so I'm not owning Ohio State. I will say I'm an Ohio resident, and therefore that qualifies me as a, at least a closet Buckeye fan. Uh, but I am overtly a Notre Dame fan. Yeah, but yeah, the, the group Ohio State had for I mean, this past couple of years is just crazy. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I thing, you know, once you once you identify that player, we can dive into you know 
what circumstances that's when you look at Anthony Richardson and you say, okay, to what extent is his situation at Florida perhaps holding him back and how can going to the next level help him improve on some of the negative traits you see on his tape? Simultaneously, you can also say, what's Anthony Richardson not doing? Why is his, you know, mm-hmm. player of his athletic traits? Why are those athletic traits not elevating the ceiling of his team the way we've seen players with his traits be able to do before, such as uh, Cam Newton, who, in my opinion, yeah, going undefeated and winning a championship with that Auburn team is one of the most absurd <laughs> things I've ever seen in college football in, in my life. I want to say one offensive player from that team was even selected in the NFL draft. They <laughs> won. <laughs> all right well let me let me say this um since you've shared you know what you do kind of look at what a quarter for a quarterback i'm going to share a little bit about my process is so when we when we get into it we know how we're all talking so i've got about 10 15 years of coaching experience between peewee junior high high school naia ncaa you know coaching so you know i look at I come at it from a coach's perspective. So I want to look at when I pop on a film, let's just say what's my process. First thing I want to see is what's the footwork look like? Where are they at with their footwork? What are they looking at when they're throwing the ball? So I'm looking at the footwork. I'm rewinding the tape. I'm watching their head. Is their head in one spot? Is their head kind of what I call bobbling? Right, looking to one receiver, two receiver, three receiver. Is it going through the field? Are they looking one way but throwing another way? Because you can tell when a quarterback is trying to look off, quote unquote, a safety. Right. So I'm looking at that, um, and then once I see that, what I want to get a sense of as I watch through the game the first time, I want to know what the defense is doing in an attempt to stop that guy. Because I think you can learn a lot about what defenses do and don't do to stop a player. That will tell you a lot about what they think that that player is capable of and also what they're not capable of. Okay. So, um, you know, obviously I'm just going to watch film. I'm just going to put on games and watch it because I don't know what's in the background of any of these people. So everything I'm saying is going to come from just watching tape. And personal experience. I don't like to read. Um, I don't like to read draft. You know, draft reports. I don't really read draft reports. Um, you know, as a subscriber to the Athletic, thank you by the way for that, Braden. Got to got to jump. Shout out to Braden who got me hooked on the Athletic. Um, you know, since I have my Athletic subscription, I do have the Dane Brugler draft PDF that's like a thousand pages or something. Um, but I haven't read a single bit of it because I want to watch people on tape and just kind of see what I think. So, um, with all that said, and we have our processes out in the open, uh, who do you think the Panthers are taking? I do. And why? And why? I do believe that Bryce Young is going to be our, our selection first pick in the, uh, NFL draft this year. And I think, simply put, I believe he is the best quarterback available. Okay. So give me what what's going on. What what makes him the best quarterback available? Give me the rundown. I think, right, yeah, my opinion on Bryce. If Bryce Young were the exact same height and weight as C.J. Stroud, 
I don't believe there is much of a debate, in my opinion, as to who the better quarterback was during their college years. No offense to C.D. Stroud. As That's okay. Was. You can offend Ohio State fans. <laughs> they can take it. I am. I, I am a bit of a. I am a bit of a hater. That's okay. That, that's okay. You're you're from the South. We get it. You're in SEC territory. You guys play like two meaningful games and then a championship game. I get it. So, <laughs> so you're thinking Bryce Young, right? Yeah, I'm thinking Bryce. So you're taking Bryce Young. Before I jump into all my questions based off film, all off film, okay. Okay, so what does he bring to the offense? Because you mentioned in your, you know, this is how I this is how I evaluate. What does he bring to the Carolina Panthers that you are excited about in that pick? I think he is, my opinion, the most cerebral quarterback in class. I think the way he moves in the pocket, the way I think he just crisply gets to his reads, the way he actually puts the ball where it needs to go. The way he extends plays, I believe, you know, makes throws happen with arm angles. And, you know, as you've seen the recent reports of the um, S2 test, which I do think often get taken out of context. So I, I, I'm going to plug this. I just did a, a rant podcast that will be coming out later tonight all about these S2 tests, other comments about C.J. Stroud, why did we have all these comments about C.J. Stroud? Why did the exact same comments almost get made about Justin Fields two years ago and where that's all going? But I'm going to leave you to listen to that podcast at another time. Yeah, so, well, I do think, you know, in the case like C.J. Stroud, these things are often taken out of context. I think it's a tool to use to say, okay, is this just another tool that backs up what I see on tape? And I do think his S2 results do back up what you see on tape. Like, as okay. we all know, uh, two years ago, that Georgia defense, that was, yeah, I'm only uh, 23, but that is far and away the best defense I've ever seen play college football in my lifetime. So yeah. let me ask you, did, did you watch both the SEC championship game and the national championship game? Have you, yes. have you seen them recently? I've seen the SEC championship game more recently than the national championship game, but I have watched Okay, them. yeah, because I, I – I, what you guys don't know, your listeners know, is I texted Braden last night. I was like, look, what do you think is Bryce Young's best game? So I decided to watch that. I watched eight of Bryce Young's games, and I watched eight of uh, <clears throat> C.J. Stroud's games. So I noticed that the defense, this gets back to my process, had two completely different approaches to, CJ, to uh, Bryce Young. In the SEC championship game, the Georgia defense, for whatever reason, decided they were going to contain rush him. Okay, by contain rush, meaning the defensive linemen are going to basically create a pocket out of which he cannot escape. Now they're not going to rush him or pressure him, but they're going to create a pocket which he can't escape. At least that's the idea. And then in the meantime, they dropped seven and didn't do a lot of blitzing in that game. And so what happened was. Young basically just did one of two things. Either he found the open receiver, right, or he took off running. So in that game, he had like 100 yards rushing and something like this in that game. In the national championship game, the Georgia defense did a complete 180, and they blitzed him every single play, every single play. And so I thought, well, that's interesting. So one thing I noticed about him handling the blitz 
he can handle the outside stuff because, as you said, he has good pocket awareness. He'll move in the pocket. And by the way, what Braden means by moving in the pocket or pocket movement is that he's moving different places to get different angles and to avoid pressure while still being poised to pass from the pocket. Okay, that's movement in the pocket as opposed to movement out of the pocket is how you escape and then look for somebody to throw when you escape. So just a little educational moment there. So <clears throat> I've noticed that stop, end pressure is no big deal to him, but pressure up the middle gives him problems. Yeah. How do you think he's going to handle that in Carolina? Or do you think Carolina has a, a plan for that? No, I do. I do think um, with the fit in this offense, this uh, Frank Reich offense, I do believe with the RPO game, quick hitting game, and these very past-friendly concepts that uh, Frank Reich is known to run. The same way you see it with uh, in Philadelphia, you know. Mm-hmm. Here's uh, Nick Foles had in Philadelphia with Frank Reich. Nick Foles is a well-known uh, statue who does not handle uh, <laughs> very well. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the quick-hitting passing game, those concepts, you know, we've seen Nick Foles play at an extremely high level mm-hmm. in offense when he's not really been able to replicate that in his later career in other places. So I do think that is going to help Bryce Young out a lot. I do think mm-hmm. we have a very high-quality offensive line, probably one of the best we've honestly had in our franchise history, which isn't saying much we've had. I'm going to say, I, don't, I wouldn't rank that as a top 10 offensive lines right now. I mean, I'd put them about the middle of the pack here. I mean, I'm not saying they're in the bottom half, but I'm thinking they're top 15 offensive line in the league, yeah. right? And no matter what kind of an offensive line you have, you're still going to get pressure. You know, if you want to get pressure in a place, I mean, take take uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, right? They have a very unconventional approach to defense in that they will blitz you on first and second down, and then they'll play coverage on third. Yeah. So they want to blitz you from some direction. They're going to blitz you from a direction, and they'll get to you. They'll figure out a way to mess with your head at the line of scrimmage. So I'm just a little concerned, I guess, when I see Bryce Young, because he did. He really struggled with those blitzes up the middle. And I, I can get more into it, but I think Carolina just needs to have a plan, Yeah, I think, to handle that thing. Because put on the Texas game, put on the LSU game, put on the um, – what was the other one I saw that they were really giving them a lot of pressure – um, I want to say they lost that game. I can't think of the, the team right now. Iron Bowl was a good one. The Auburn. I didn't watch the Auburn game. I want to say it was the Tennessee game. Yeah, I want to say it was the Tennessee game. Um, those teams came up the middle on him. Yeah. They, and they pushed the pocket back. And then when he got pressure up the middle, he started to get happy feet. And he started to jump and throw. Right? Or he'll run kind of trot back like uh, step back start to step back he'll jump off his back foot and throw and this created some some rather unique passes let's put it that way um and i i think people are going to pick up on that if i'm you know some joe schmo from ohio and i can pick this up nfl teams are going to pick this up right and i also think that uh, bryce young is going to be like the anderson varejao of the nfl and if you don't know who Anderson Vergeau is, he is the man that used to call Anderson Flopajau. Or 
I think it was Floppa Zhao, right? The guy's, his claim to fame in the NBA was to, like, Here's flop right. and get fouls, right? <laughs> flop and get fouls. Like, because Bryce Young avoids pressure by, that's up the middle, by falling backward and throwing the pass. So then everybody that tackles him lands on top of him. So he's going to have to find a way to deal with pressure up the middle. And I think Frank Wright's going to have to have a, a, a plan for that. All right. Personally, and I'm, I'm going to jump in with my side of this so we can keep moving, I think the C.J. Stroud's the guy. And I think C.J. Stroud's the guy is not because I'm some homer for Ohio State, although, can't, or Braden, you can, you, can, you can make the claim now. Um, I, think, I think the reason I like Stroud is that his mechanics don't really change. Okay, You can upset Bryce Young if you get pressure up the middle or if he's running an RPO and he's got his first read and his second read and he doesn't know what his third read is, or the plan is not going to to the way it should, okay? He's still a very good quarterback, but his mechanics start to fall apart. Yeah. So then he becomes very light-toed, and uh, for anybody who's taking Kung Fu knows that you have to have your ground, your base, right? Your feet flat, lowered, leveled. Um, grounded into the ground to get power on your throws, and his feet come up like he's on his his toe on his toes when he's throwing. If things don't go to the way he planned, now if you run in an RPO, Bryce Young is your guy because he will see option one, option two, and he will confidently and accurately hit that thing that you think he is the greatest quarterback on the planet. I do think, by the way, that Bryce Young is the best 7-on-7 quarterback the NFL has ever seen. Problem is, you don't play 7-on-7 in the NFL. But if it was 7-on-7, Bryce Young is your guy because he can stand back, not be pressured, accurately throw the ball, and he's great. And the moments where he's great, he has no pressure on him. That's why he took Georgia apart, but in that SEC championship game, under the uh, national championship game, they pressured him every which way but forward, and when things got pressuring, he started to have issues, so I think if you draft him over there in Carolina, you're going to have to fix some of those things. C.J. Stroud's mechanics pretty much stay the same. Okay, and he does all the things that I think Bryce Young does. He'll look, he'll scan his receivers. He'll look receivers off. Bryce Young will look one way, knowing he's throwing in the other way, just to look off of safety. C.J. Stroud will do the same thing. Um, I think it's interesting. Um, the, one of the marks I would t- would take away against C.J. Stroud is that the Northwestern game, they pulled the same exact thing that Georgia did in the SEC game. They said to Bryce, they said to CJ Stroud, you're going to beat us this way. Now, it was a cold, rainy, wet day in Chicago and windy, taken for granted because Chicago is always windy up by the lake. Although Evanston's not exactly on the lake, you still get it. Um, <clears throat> and he's, you know, he's throwing the ball, but receivers are dropping the ball, blah, blah, blah. What Bryce Young will do that CJ Stroud will not do is that Bryce Young will take off. Remember in the SEC game, I talked about how he had 100 yards rushing. He took off. C.J. Stroud will escape the pocket and look downfield and then try to force a throw. So you're going to have to fix that with Stroud, if somebody, whoever takes him. Now, I do think, I still think C.J. Stroud's the pick, but we can, we can debate all that. So, but having done that, we do have to take a break for a second. So we're going to pay the bills. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. 
Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. And we're back. So now that we've picked out who we're going to take, tell me in the nicest possible way you can why C.J. Stroud, in your opinions, because you wanted Bryce Young, doesn't fit what the Panthers want to do, or why Bryce Young is a better fit than Stroud. I was like, I am in the camp of Bryce Young is a better fit. More okay. C.J. Stroud would not fit. Now, with Stroud, as you just mentioned, my biggest, I'll say Stroud is far and away my quarterback too in the class. I I think there is a gap. I think there's Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, then I think there's a tier gap between them and Levis, Anthony Richardson, Hayden Hooker, however you want to order them from that point forward. But as you mentioned with CJ Stroud, my biggest nitpick that I always come back to when watching his tape, which is why I can never move him ahead of Young, is why does he not? Extend plays because if the CJ Stroud we saw against Georgia was the CJ Stroud we saw at Ohio State every week, I do think he probably hands it out quarterback one in this class. Mm-hmm. But I have yet to identify a sufficient of explanation as to why it took until that Georgia game for us to see that out of CJ Stroud. And by that, you mean like him escaping the pocket and running? Yeah, okay, and go ahead. Are the circumstances that led to that actually happening replicable? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna right, back you up on. Go ahead. Well, in theory, because his mechanics don't break down, CJ Stroud should absolutely, statistically, be a better passer under pressure than Bryce Young. But by um, a grading metrics, PFF is the one I'll, I'll cite for this. Okay, don't ever cite PFF to me. Okay, I have real beefs with PFF, so you might as well just take what they do and put it on a piece of toilet paper and, and move on. But you can quote it all you want, but I promise you I, right I, I now, it's not going to mean anything to me. But Although, I go ahead. This number does not paint the truly accurate picture just for the sake of discussion. C.J. Stroud grades barely pulling under pressure, where I agree from a mechanical perspective, C.J. Stroud should be a better passer under pressure than Bryce Young. So, while my question is not necessarily C.J. Stroud capable of doing so, it is what what is the block that held C.J. Stroud back from doing that? Right, I right, right. I tend to think it is somewhat just instinctual. Do you have the instinct? Do you just have that internal clock to know when to move? Mm-hmm. And I do think... Oh, I think that's something you can improve on. I do think a certain bit of that is kind of a cerebral second nature. Mm-hmm. You are who you are. So that's why I'll get into my pro comp for TJ Stroud. I compare CJ Stroud. I think he's going to be a somewhat higher end version of Dak Prescott. Where okay. Dak Prescott is a very good quarterback. He can make all the throws. He's certainly, I believe, a franchise caliber quarterback. But every now and then, you look at Dak Prescott and it's like there's just there's just something there, you know, that 
a little bit of extra playmaking, a little bit of extra instinct, knowing willingness to just junk in an absolute junkyard situation, just scramble, get a 13-yard gain because the play didn't go the way the play was supposed to go. Mm-hmm. It was a disaster cleanup. That I just is not consistently there on tape for CJ Shroud. Okay. I, I'm I'm gonna agree that what you've just said is an accurate description of what's going on with CJ Stroud. I'm gonna disagree that that makes Bryce Young a better fit for the Carolina offense. And and here's why. <clears throat> when and I think it's the two approaches. Bryce Young in the SEC game, CJ Stroud, let's say Northwestern, but Michigan did the same thing. Okay. You're rushing four, you're dropping seven, and you're saying we're gonna cover. Right? Bryce Young looked at that situation and found plays to ways to escape the pocket. And then to his credit, he's looking downfield, and when there's not something downfield, he decides to take off. Okay, CJ Stroud presented with the same same situation. His instinct seems to be to stay in the pocket and throw the ball. And if he does escape the pocket, he too is looking for someone to throw to. Now, you also have that immaculate receiving core over there at Ohio State. So I I can kind of forgive him for saying, if I just extend this play long enough, somebody's going to get open. But when, when Michigan did that to them, and they ended up losing to Michigan, I think they finally just looked at him and said, look, you need to just take off. Look how many yards we're losing by you just not taking off. There's 30 yards ahead of you. You could, we could be, we have the choice of either a, you're throwing the ball down the field, 30 yards, or you're running 10 and getting us a first down and we're still on the field. Right. And at some point, practicality has to set in. So their next game, right? Their next game is not the big 10 championship game because Michigan's playing that game, right? Their next game is that bowl game. So you have a month to, to look over this stuff and say, what do I need to do better, right? And so then we saw him make some more of those runs. But I think, I mean, apples to apples, right? I do think that C.J. Stroud adds that level of, okay, things aren't going the best, but I'm willing to stand here and look to throw the ball, right? I'm going to stand here and look to throw the ball. Now, I think he's going to take more punishment than 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 tiny little Bryce Young, and I read a whole bunch of articles about how the Carolina Panthers staff feel like they can just beef him up and how Russell Wilson came in at 206 and now he's 220 and he's going to just grow naturally. I'm not convinced that's the case. That's one. And two, and I hate to say this about anybody, Bryce Young looked like he did not want to get hit. As where C.J. Stroud will stand there and say, okay, I will take the hit, but I'll deliver the ball. Maybe not the best decision, but that's the decision he made, right? Bryce Young is just trying to avoid that hit. And while he's trying to avoid that hit, he is off balance throwing the ball. That is going to create massive problems as far as I'm concerned in the NFL. And I'm I'm going down this road I don't want to go down, right? But I think you're going to have to give him an alternative to how to avoid pressure than what he's currently has. And I don't think you have to give that alternative to Bryce, to CJ Stroud. I think you just have to teach him if there's 10 yards, go get the 10 yards and then we'll regroup. If there's five yards, go take the five yards. You don't have to always throw the ball down the field. Your arm isn't always going to make that play. You know, you're not always going to put it in that little tight window, which CJ Stroud can do on a, on a regular basis. And Bryce Young can as well. Um, but I think, Stroud is more willing to stand there and just throw the ball 
um, and take a hit that I think Bryce Young, and I think Bryce Young is, is right to say, I probably need to take off a little bit more and try to avoid those hits because of my size. Now, neither one of those guys are going to outrun NFL defenders. I mean, I remember watching the Carolina-Cleveland game, and 330-pound Bravion Roy is chasing down the Browns quarterback from behind. And we're not talking about Deshaun Watson here. We're talking about Jacoby Brissett. But he's chasing down Jacoby Brissett from behind. I mean, like, literally, Jacoby Brissett was two, two players over from the, the nose tackle, and Roy runs 30 yards, catches up to him, and tackles him. Uh, for a loss behind the line of scrimmage. So neither one of these, the, the day of Lamar Jackson outrunning everybody, those days are gone. We now have Jeremiah Wusukoromora, Miles Jack, super fast, small linebackers that can cover and chase down people who run four sixes. So the day that either one of these two, Young or Stroud, are going to like break the pocket and start running around like Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson's not doing that anymore. I've watched Brown's like linebacker, um, I can't think of his name, just sprint 50 yards across the field diagonally and chase Lamar Jackson down from behind. Yeah. Like, that's insane. And that wasn't JOK. I figured Jeremiah Wusu Moore would be the guy doing that, but that wasn't even him that did that. I mean, it's a, the, the NFL linebacking crew has changed, and the, the idea that the quarterback is going to be this running force in the NFL, those days are over. I think the Panthers, or not the Panthers, but the uh, Ravens know that, and that's why they're having a hard time paying Jackson, but we are off, way off this discussion. So, <laughs> trying to get back on track here. Um, do you think, moving past all this stuff with C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, where we agree to disagree on this, um, do you think there's another franchise quarterback in this draft outside of those two? I would say no. So I'm going to agree with you with no. I think there are developmental. I think there's quarterbacks. One of the things people, especially this Twitter scouting era, I think often. <laughs> there's a somebody with the potential to develop into a franchise quarterback and a prospect that is a franchise quarterback caliber. Mm-hmm. I think Bryson and CJ Shroud are prospects of the caliber of talent. Taraka Coughlin said, I believe that this team has a franchise quarterback. I think it is more likely than not this quarterback will receive a second contract with this team and this team won't be searching for their replacement. Right. Very shortly after drafting them. Mm-hmm. I think you can say that about Bryce Young and CJ Shroud. Mm-hmm. I do not believe you can say that about Willis and Richardson. And while I think both these players have things that I like, I believe, you know into that second part of the evaluation process. I believe there's things you can look at. There are situations at Kentucky and Florida and say, we can execute, you know, as a program on a much higher level in the NFL than the situations they had there. Mm-hmm. But I do not think you can go as far as to say those two players are franchise caliber quarterbacks based on what they've shown on tape. I, I would agree, and I would agree for this reason. I think when people start looking at the draft – what you have to remember, and I think people forget, and I think there's a purposeful forgetfulness because I think TV stations, although they're good, they're out there to make money, and people don't understand what people will do to make money, okay? <laughs> These people are not walking in the NFL day one and changing your franchise. They're walking in as rookies to learn. So when you're you're looking at these prospects, there literally are prospects, and you have to ask yourself, who has, like like we were talking about before the beginning of this podcast, who has the most translatable skills to the NFL? Who has the things in place that would make you think, 
we can do that. We can do that. We can do that. Who has the things that you look at and say, oh, my gosh, there is no way he's doing that <laughs> in the NFL. I mean, I, I've seen this, right? There's no way this is happening in the NFL. You know, so they're all just shots in the dark, right? So when we say, should the Panthers take this guy or take this guy, what we're saying is who has the best chance to succeed in Carolina, which is how I've tried to keep this whole discussion going, right? You know, C.J. Stroud may be the better prospect for a different team. But for Carolina, maybe it's Bryce Young. Maybe it's because you give him defined reads, keep him protected, give him very simple situations to handle until he can learn to read more complex defenses. Although, really, coming out of Alabama, those players are what they are. There's not really much development on those players coming out of Alabama. They are finished, polished projects and pretty uh, polished statues or whatever you want to call them when they walk in the NFL. So I think if you want an NFL-ready quarterback, that is Bryce Young. If you want a top-tier talent that's going to take a little bit of work but not a whole lot of work, that's C.J. Stroud. But what prospect do you want, right? So in terms of Will Levis, in terms of like Anthony Richardson, right, I mean, I think you're looking at guys that have some things that pop on tape. You got some highlight reels. You know, look at this guy's arm and look at this and look at that. But does it translate into where they play? And <clears throat> there's a reason. No, don't get no, don't get some real haters at this point. There's a reason Will Levis is playing in Kentucky. Or no, was it? Is it Kentucky? Yeah, he he transferred he transferred out of Penn State because he couldn't be out with Sean Clifford. Okay, there's a reason he's playing in Kentucky. Yeah. All right. There's there, there just is, and. There's, you know, Anthony Richards will be a good player, but he just needs to develop more. I mean, I don't know if he's just a fifth-year senior situation where he can't stay in college or or what. But if there's a guy, he should he should stay in college and develop. That is a player that I would go ahead. Also, yeah, here's my thing with Anthony Richardson. Like, you know, all these analysts and the Dan Danielowskis of the world are like. Look at all this upside. Look at all this physical talent. How how can you not take him number one? All right. Here's the thing with Anthony Richardson. For him to have any chance of succeeding, you need to create such a perfect environment to foster him in. So as a franchise, you have to ask yourself, are we ready to whatever previous identity, whatever previous plan we had for our team? Because I don't care what anybody says. Nobody comes in to, uh, you know. They've got to go full Baltimore Ravens, right? They, they, when they drafted Lamar Jackson, they changed their entire identity to make it work for him. Throw out. Like, is your team essentially ready to just throw out the script of running a you – know, you essentially have to run a gimmick off. You know, like Greg Roman did for the Ravens to mm-hmm. foster a borrow. Now, the Ravens, you know, had the personnel. They, we had a strong running game. We had a dominant offensive line. We had a good defense. The Ravens were in position to just – completely abandon whatever previous team identity they had and go all in on that. Mm-hmm. You have to ask them, is your team in a position to do that? Are you confident the coaching staff you have in place is going to be in place for at least three years that it's going to take to implement this identity? Are you that confident Anthony Richardson implements identity? Because as you see with the Ravens, the Ravens are stuck in this weird no man's land of we don't really want to pay Lamar but we only have personnel to run this very specific niche offense that really only Lamar Jackson can run. So, like, on the one hand, they don't want to give Lamar all this money. On the other hand, 
what are we doing with these five tight ends and no wide receivers? <laughs> See, now you're going to get me on the Ravens here, and I have a segment on my What the Elf is That podcast where I trash the Ravens at least once every podcast. And uh, I, I appreciate you appreciate you giving me the, the lead in here because they have changed their gimmick offense to another gimmick offense, which is they brought in Todd Monken. This was the guy that, like, of the Baker, Mayfield, Cleveland Browns, you know, uh, what was that guy's name who was the hick that was the quarterback? You know, that era of, of situation. You know who I'm talking about, right? I can't even think of his name, man. Was the Alabama quarterback? He and, huh? Freddie Kitchens, that's it. He and Freddie <laughs> Kitchens, man. This is like the Freddie Kitchens, Todd Monken, Air Raid, Baker Mayfield thing. And, and in fact, prime. <laughs> you know, in fact, when Monkin got hired in Baltimore, they called Baker Mayfield and said, "Hey, do you want to come to Baltimore?" And he was like, "No, nah, I'm good. I'm going to go to to Tampa Bay." Which, you know, good good for the Panthers, by the way. <laughs> That's two wins right there, baby. So, <laughs> I I agree. <laughs> I agree with you on the whole. You're going to change your offense, but I could see the Ravens taking Anthony Richardson in the last part of the draft. I mean, didn't they run air raid down there in Florida? Yeah, it's like a team like the Ravens makes sense. The Ravens already have the pre-existing infrastructure mm-hmm. to run the type of offense you're going to have to run for Andrew Richardson to succeed. But, like, if you have a new staff and you weren't anticipating drafting Andrew Richardson and you hired an office coordinator to run a like, more Andy Reid-style vertical aerial attacking offense, mm-hmm. are you essentially ready to uh, have to fire it's like with Lamar Jackson, the Ravens, I can't remember who it was, but they had a fairly decent office coordinator. Oh, Greg Roman. Well, before, it was before, before they had Oh, game. before Greg Roman? Okay. Greg Roman, I think, was just the quarterback's coach. Somewhere oh, okay. Like, I, remember. I don't remember. It's inconsequential. Anyway, like, the guy had to get canned after they made the playoffs because it was just, yeah, we, you're, you, we hire you to design an office for Joe Flacco. We have to design an office for Lamar Jackson now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I... I Get me on. We'll talk Ravens. I'll have you back on the show, and we'll talk Ravens, man. I, I think I think that whole franchise is a giant dumpster fire right now. And this, right, uh, right do now, what? Plus drive pass and red ink. <laughs> I, I don't know who they're going to draft, but I can promise you, A plus is across the board. Every scout. Every oh, yeah. oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's that guy's name? Mel Kuyper, man. No matter what, what are Baltimore? Mel Kuyper is such a Baltimore homer. Like, whatever that guy would like, they could walk up and they could draft Santa Claus and Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer and, you know, some fictional character. And, like, oh my God, the Ravens had the greatest draft in the history of mankind. I can't believe how great Baltimore is. Like, have you been to the city, man? If I ever run for office, I want. Everybody in the Baltimore Ravens media relations room on my campaign team. <laughs> <laughs> whatever they're paid, they do not make enough money. They, <laughs> whatever they... I, I I just think that franchise is on fire right now. They're just like like in a bad way. This is a dumpster fire. Like you're paying anyway. I got to get off this. I got to get off this. So closing thoughts here. Since we're like forty minutes in now, closing thoughts here. What do you think? And I'm going to hit blindside you with this one. What do you think is the worst possible thing that could happen to the Panthers in this draft outside of number one pick? Let's let's say your opponents in the a- in the NFC South. What is the worst thing that they could do? Now I'm going to start with this. I saw today on the NFL Network that Lance Zerline 
had in his latest mock draft had proposed that the Indianapolis Colts were going to trade for Lamar Jackson and then give their fourth pick, the fourth pick, say a third or fourth, the fourth pick to the Baltimore Ravens, who in turn drafted C.J. Stroud. Like, to me, that's like the nightmare of all nightmares. Yeah. Because I think C.J. Stroud is is really going to be a a damn good quarterback, right? I think he's going to be really good. Yeah. I don't think he fits Todd Monken, so I don't think it's going to happen. But, you know, Anthony Richardson could fit Todd Monken, but I don't care to put him down there. I don't care. But anyway, so that's my thing. My worst nightmare is that the Ravens somehow land C.J. Stroud. What do you think is the worst thing that could happen to the Panthers from a perspective of the year three in-division opponents? My nightmare scenario is similar to yours. If Stroud falls past like that seven or eight range, I think Tampa Bay is a sneaky team that could move up into the draft and select Shroud in the event that he begins to fall precipitously. Like, a- Well, I think the good news for you is that Stroud's going to go number one to the Panthers. <laughs> That's the good news for you. So you don't have to worry about that scenario. And then Bryce Young's going to get picked by the Texans. And they're not going to be able to protect him because that's who they are. So, but I'm hoping for better for Bryce Young. I I would not be sad if he was in Carolina. I really wouldn't. I think think it's just a matter of stylist difference between what you and I are after. I would rather have a, a, a quarterback that can, as a primary idea, is to sit there and throw the football, right? And run when you have to. And I think Bryce Young airs more on the side of I'm going to run if I have to. And CJ Stroud is more like I'm going to stand there and throw it. And I'd rather see a guy stand there and throw it. Um, former offensive lineman, coach offensive line. I, I'm, I like the guys that stand there and just throw the ball and are going to take a hit. And I, I'm fearful that Bryce Young isn't going to put the weight on fast enough and he's going to get hit and it's not going to be pretty. But those are just irrational fears. I think no matter who you, who the Panthers pick, it's going to be a good good pick for you. I don't think. Yeah, I was, yeah. I'm Bryce Young one, CJ Stroud two. I think both would succeed uh, if selected here. So I guess kind of like I just kind of have like a slight inverse to what you're thinking. Mm-hmm. I think if I take the chance on teaching a guy who I think has those pocket instincts to stick in that pocket a little more, translate those instincts into maintaining your footwork under pressure, versus teaching a guy who doesn't have that like second gear to get out of the pocket to get out of the pocket. I think it's easier to teach the instinctual guy to mm-hmm. be a little more actual in a different context than it's to teach the guy who lacks the instinct in the context to be more instinctual. I think it's a slightly easier transition. Right. Yeah. And and again all we're I mean we I think we have minor differences. Yeah. Um mine are based on size, which is a, a real bias. I mean I mean Mine are based on the size. I don't want to see the guy get hit and get hurt, and and I think Stroud can take some hits. Therefore, he's more willing to stand there and and, and do it. But, I mean, it it really comes down to what you're comfortable with as a staff. If if Reich thinks, hey, we can take this guy, we can protect him, we can give him some some very confident reads on what he's going to do and make him successful, then I think you got a good guy. I mean, he, he throws well. Right when he can set up and throw, his issue is that sometimes he doesn't set up and throw, 
And I don't know why he throws the ball sidearmed every time he goes to a running back, even when there's no pressure. He just throws the ball sidearm to the running back. I don't understand that. I'm sure he has a good reason for that, but I don't understand what it is. So with that, um, I'm going to bid you guys adieu. Uh, Braden, thanks for being on the on the on the podcast. I think we had a good conversation. Appreciate it, and uh, you know maybe we'll have you back on after uh, yeah. the Panthers pick Stroud, and you can tell me how great Stroud is. Look, whenever you have you back, I'm glad you back. You know, I, uh, <laughs> a- 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 AFC North is my my guilty pleasure. So <laughs> yeah, I know you have these leanings towards that team in Pennsylvania, but I'll tell you what. I mean the the Steelers were the one of those teams that like voted against the move. So at least we can agree that the Ravens are garbage and we all hate the Ravens and I can deal with the Steelers. The Steelers are like the brother that we're getting in a fight to every year that eventually we're going to figure it out, but not enemies, you know, just we, we, we have the people you guys laugh at. I understand. And then we will eventually rise up and make you the people we laugh at the Steelers fans. So, all right. I appreciate everybody hanging on, um, Braden, hang on. All right. I'm going to jump you off here. Um, Thanks, everybody. Great time. Listen to us next time. Thank you for listening to the What the Elf Was That podcast. Please like, subscribe, and tell all your friends to give a listen. You can follow host Joel Cade on Twitter at The Left Guard. 